Hi, I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brennis Female. This is a podcast where inspiring women share their journey. My guest today is Mungi Ngomane, author of the book Everyday Ubuntu and youth patron of the Tutu Foundation UK. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsor. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TV can help. I also want to ask you to leave us a review and a rating for the podcast, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, or the app of your choice. As podcasters, this is how we can grow, make it onto charts, and get discovered by more listeners like yourself. Some could say Mungi Ngomani grew up with activism and social justice in her blood. The granddaughter of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Mungi realized at a young age she wanted to help make the world a better place. Graduating in international studies and diplomacy, her time has been spent between South Africa, the UK, and North America, where she's been working in Middle East conflict resolution, as well as for the advancement of women and girls for some of the world's leading advocacy organizations. In her book release a few months ago, Mungi has shared the wisdom around Ubuntu, South African philosophy, which teaches us that our common humanity and our connection to each other is key to living a better life. Here is my conversation with Mungi. My name is Mungi Ngomane, and I am the author of Everyday Ubuntu and also the youth patron of the Tutu Foundation UK, which tackles issues of youth in the UK, specifically in regards to gangs and policing and knife crime. I do want to go back in time and I want to talk about you, Mungi, growing up, little girl. Tell me what that was like and what were your dreams and aspirations for your future and your career? Yeah, well, I had a lot of dreams, um, as you can imagine. Most girls do. And uh, luckily for me, I had a a mom that's very honest. Uh, She actually reminded me the other day that once I wanted to be a fashion designer. And she was like, remember I told you you can't? be a fashion designer because you just don't have that in you Uh, (laughs) and I was like well thank you for always keeping me on my feet but um, I was raised between the U.S. and South Africa and um, you know my book Everyday Ubuntu is about Ubuntu and how you know it was something that was very present in South Africa and how apartheid was ended and very present in my family and how we were raised but not something that you really recognized in the U.S. You know, there are obviously leaders, I think, um, that embody Ubuntu and probably don't even know what it is. But in the U.S., it wasn't something that was known besides, I think, there's like a computer operating system that also has the same name. And so growing up, uh, my mom really made it uh, important for her to make sure that she was raising us as African children, even though we were living in the States. And so that was how we interacted with strangers, but also our elders and sort of showing respect to everyone we met. Um, but also having that same respect for ourselves. And so, you know, when you ask about dreams and aspirations, it's, you know, having respect for yourself, you you recognize the worth and value that you have in yourself mm-hmm. and realize that, you know, anything can be possible um, if you start from that, that point. And I mean, I 
I wanted to be president once. <laughs> That's definitely changed. Uh, I went to all-girls school for most of my life, and so she said that once there was a story from a teacher where the girls in our class had said, you know, they wanted to be the first lady, and I was, like, so upset that they wanted to be the first lady, mm -hmm. and, like, why wouldn't they want to be the president? Right. Um, and... So, you know, I think as you get older, these things become more realistic in that, no, you don't necessarily want to be president, but maybe you wanted that role because you realize the power it has um, in helping people. And so I think that sort of fell off, but my desire to help people and be a force for good is sort of where that led me to. You had some pretty impressive role models in your life. And obviously, I'm thinking of your grandfather, uh, uh, Desmond Tutu. Um, tell me about the women role models and, and who were they for you? Who were you looking up to uh, when you were younger and maybe still today? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, my mom, you know, I talk about her all the time and she is ever present in my book. Um, but I think also my grandmother was a woman who... You know, we we talk about the women next to the man or behind the man, but I think that sometimes we forget the amount of sacrifice that people have to give up for, you mm. know, someone to be that man. Um, and yeah. so I think while I am not a person who is going to stay home all day um, and watch four children so that my husband can go traveling around the world, um, helping people, I, I mm -hmm. really respect that my grandmother was able to do that because I think that mm -hmm. takes a lot of strength. You know, raising children is the hardest thing you can do. And mm -hmm. if you have to do it on your own a lot of the time, then, you know, kud like kudos to you. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the women in my family were, were big role models for me growing up, but also still today. Um, I mean, I go to my mother for everything, um, big and small, you know, for help with the book, but also just a phone call every day, whether I have anything that I need to discuss or not. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely my mom. So at that point, you had some lofty dreams, you know, big goals. Um, what were the, the next steps for you? Um, so education is very important in my family. Uh, and so, you know, not going to undergrad was never really an option. But lucky, luckily mm -hmm. for me, I really was interested in peace and conflict resolution. Um, and so going to school in D.C. and studying international studies sort of just made sense. Um, and I really enjoyed myself there. I went to American University in D.C., um, and I'm also a person who, if I could be a forever student, I really would. Like, I think it's so much nicer to be in school than to, you know, be working um, full time. And so after that, I decided to do my master's in London at the University of London, the School of Oriental and African Studies, um, where I studied, again, international studies, and then this time added diplomacy. Um, because I, at the time, thought, okay, you know, maybe this is what I could do. I could be a diplomat. Um, I could take my interest in um, peace and conflict studies and use that to, again, still be a leader, but focused on a specific area that interests me. Um, and so I did that, and 
got my degree in 2017, but it was right after there were two very, you know, big elections in the UK and the US where I sort of realized maybe I can't be a mm-hmm. diplomat and now I need to sort of regroup and figure out do I do more school or what, you know, what is the next sort of step for me? Um, mm-hmm. And so I started working for a campaign in the US that was aimed at tackling Islamophobia um, and did that for a year and then stepped away and you know, decided I really needed to sit and figure out what was next. And that happened to be when my now editor reached out to me on LinkedIn and asked me to write the book. So it wasn't even my idea to write the book. I cannot take credit for that. (laughs) Well, I love that it was literally the person who became your editor. They had a a very clear idea of what your potential was for the book, clearly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I thought it, honestly, I thought it was a scam in the beginning. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and, and like sent it to my boyfriend and he was like no she has some real contacts I think you should respond and I was like oh okay well this never seen this happen before so speaking of the book tell me about that project and I'd love to hear what the concept of Ubuntu is for you and some of our listeners may have read the mm-hmm. book but for somebody who hasn't how Tell me about how you and, and why you wanted to bring those concepts into a book and give it to the world. Oh, yeah. So so my editor, Andrea, reached out to me and, you know, asked me to write this book. And from the beginning, I was very honest. I was like, well, I'm not a writer, but sure, I can try. Um, and then I, you know, we, we spoke on the phone about it. And I said, you know, I've just quit a job, so I have the time to spend thinking on Ubuntu and also I happen to have it tattooed on my wrist from when I was 21 um, so mm, yeah and she she didn't know that and she was like okay well that's very interesting you know why why is Ubuntu so important to you um, and I think it was you know the fact that my mother brought it into our lives even though we were here in the US so when we started we definitely didn't know what the book was gonna look like because Ubuntu is about you know, humanity and community, and it's it's about how I interact with you, and you know, each of our interactions make us who we are, um, and it's the the phrase "I am because we are," and I think in the beginning, some of the stories I was writing and speaking to people about. It, it kept coming back to me and that just didn't seem right because why would I be spending a book, you know, speaking about myself when it's supposed to be about humanity? Um, and so I think we didn't mm-hmm. even know how it was going to play out until maybe honestly four months in when we realized, you know, I, I had sort of the ideas of the lessons in my head. It's, it's broken into 14 lessons. But each lesson needed to have stories from other people. I could, you know, weave mine in from my life and from South Africa and my grandfather being on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and, you know, Nelson mm-hmm. Mandela forgiving his jailers. But it really needed to be from the perspective of other people. And I was just sort of the vessel that put it all together. Um, and it was it was a really interesting process. It actually, I was telling someone that it was sort of an Ubuntu process because it was so collaborative. There were so many hands involved. I just, you know, happened to have my name on the book, but there were so many people involved that it 
the book is exactly what it is about. And tell me about the process of finalizing, finalizing the book and being ready to bring it to an audience. It was your first mm -hmm. time being an author. Um, how did that feel to you and what went through your mind, you know, just before the book was released? Um, I still, I still, you know, pause when people say author. I'm like, oh, I don't know, like maybe writer. And they're like, well, there's a published book there. So you really <laughs> need to accept this. Um, which I, you know, I think this is very common for most women to, you know, push down their accomplishments, mm -hmm. but, um, Absolutely. Uh, honestly, it was a lot of fear because it's, it's something that can be taken to be soft, you know, the concept of Ubuntu, but I think, you know, when you look at the ideals about respect and compassion and forgiveness, they're actually things that require a lot of mental strength. And one of my mm -hmm. concerns was that people who are marginalized or even, you know, people who are often underappreciated, um, this book could be used as a way to further hurt them. And I mean this in, you know, um, I didn't want someone to read it as, okay, well, I have these horrendous views of women or horrendous views of black people but this book says that they have to respect mm -hmm. my views. I didn't want, you know, to further someone's suffering if, if it was going to mm -hmm. be read yeah. the wrong way and, and taken advantage of. Um, so in the lead up to that, that was something that really, really concerned me was, you know, how would I then afterwards while promoting the book talk about it in a way that, you know, make sure to remind people we're allowed to have boundaries and, um, not adding to conversations that marginalize people just because I'm also saying, you know, everyone is deserving of respect. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, when it came out, it came out in Europe last year and then, you know, Canada and the U.S. in January, um, the, you know, the Canadian response was amazing. I had a great time there. Um, hoping, hoping to go back. I love Vancouver. So I'm like, Hey guys, let's figure out some things there too. Um, but I mean, once it was out, then I was like, ah, okay, this is, this is, it's going to be fine. And, you know, friends and family are always so supportive of things like this. Um, so after the initial anxiety and worry, it was, it was a pretty cool experience. Good, good. And when you have moments of doubt, so, you know, everything you just described about some of your fears or uh you know anxiety around how the book could be interpreted um how do you mm -hmm. get over that feeling and that anxiety and it could be not just about the book but i'm sure that happens in other moments of your life what's the mental process that you use to be able to get through that darker mindset oh yeah oh trust me that is something I'm constantly working on. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure you won't be surprised for me to say that uh, calling my mother definitely helps. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. She She's way too wise. Um, and so, I mean, she's probably the first person that I go to, um, as well as I have a very, very supportive boyfriend who knows nothing about, you know, the the book world and whatnot and is sort of learning along with me um but who is supportive in all ways you know like emotionally um and 
financially because you know sometimes books don't they don't bring you a lot in the beginning and you're just sort of like hoping that what you've written will help people and it's not about mm -hmm. you know making cash um yeah but also I really like exercise and it's it's how I sort of turn off and allow myself to process things um mm -hmm sort of because I have a very overactive subconscious that prefers to process things while I'm asleep, which, you know, ends up making you not sleep. Um, right. <laughs> but also a lot of the things I wrote in the book about sort of gratitude practices. And so, you know, I'm at mm -hmm. a stage where now the book is out and I'm in awe of all the people in the book and all they've done that now I think, you know, there's so much more I can be doing. And what is that and how can I do that? And so, you know, as I start to figure that out, I'm stressed because I feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, but it's also reminding myself that, okay, well, I have this book. It's it's helping people. And why don't I, you know, be thankful for that and mm -hmm. be thankful that I just have a roof over my head and that I'm not worried about things like that and, my, and having food and everything else will sort of fall into place. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I used to, when people used to say gratitude practices, you know, I guess when it got popular about three years ago, I was like, are you serious? Like, come on, we got to think of something else. But honestly, I do think that they make a difference. Um, it actually works. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like, you know, there's so many other things I could be stressing about, but I don't have to worry about a meal in an hour. So, mm -hmm. um, and whether that's, you know, in the morning or in the evening, um, whatever works for you. But one thing I've realized that works for me, because I also, you know, deal with anxiety is um, I read this article where this woman uh, described taking a worry break where you take maybe five to 15 minutes a day and you sort of write out everything you're worried about and you separate it into what you can control and what you can't control and you mm. only deal with it in that 15 minute period and then you don't think about it again until the next day when you're going to deal mm. with it again and I started doing that Love for about that. a yeah I mean I started doing it for about a month towards the end of the day and I think it was honestly starting to help my sleep cycle. So anything that works, try out things that sound weird is, is what I've learned. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Um, I want to talk about your work for uh, helping women, helping girls around the world. You've been involved in a number of projects. Um, you're still involved with the Tutu Foundation, among others. Tell me in 2020, what do you think still needs to happen so that women, so that girls around the world, and obviously we might be in a better position in the U.S. and Canada, but where do we stand and what is the work that still needs to take place so that women and girls have access to all the opportunities? Oof, that is a tough one. Not because there's not an answer, but because I feel like there, you know, there are so many answers. Um, mm -hmm. if, if I look just locally in the U.S., women need to be able to, you know, control their bodies is like the, the first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know, we're coming off of s s 
boring for some people, but coming off of Super Tuesday last night where I think a very, very qualified candidate should have done a lot better than she did. And, you know, it just makes you yeah. – it, it. I woke up and I texted a friend that I'm having, you know, like the same feelings I had in 2016. Like this feels very familiar. Um, right. It's it's It starts with those things. Like us being able to control our bodies leads us to, you know – controlling so many other things that we don't even think about in the day-to-day. Um, and I think that, you know, applies to every continent, whether it's FGM, FGC, or it's um, child marriage. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think being able to control your body and your destiny and men acknowledging that we are autonomous, you know, humans – would be the first step because I think everything else flows from that. Um, And I really, sometimes I'm at a a loss in how we, I don't know, figure that out because we either tackle each individual issue or we just let men know that, I mean, we're just as capable, if not more capable than you, um, to do all the things it takes to run a country, to run a family, to protect the environment, to, you know, take care of ourselves. Um, I, I don't know. I think probably my, my way of going about this is hoping to focus on education for women and girls because, you know, we see the difference that education makes. Um, I, you know, I'm a strong proponent, proponent of girls education, um, having come out of that and knowing that, when I was in co-ed classrooms, I didn't necessarily change how I acted, but I definitely think I was less likely to answer questions um, and to engage with the content that was being taught. And so I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. education is a big thing um, because we know, you know, when women and girls are educated, then they're able to earn. And when we earn, we don't you know, spend that on ourselves, we spend it on our family. And when we're educated, we're able to be involved and be at the table. And when we're at the table, peace is more stable and lasts longer. Um, so I, th- I think, honestly, we, we have to put all of our resources into education for women and girls right. and also for men so that they can be proper allies for men and boys. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean... Yeah, that you, I, we could probably be talking about that forever because I feel like there are so many answers. And kind of a, a segue to that original question, what do you wish women would do more of? So, you know, themselves, what, what kind of actions or gestures or attitudes would you like to see women do more of? Um, I think of the things that I probably don't do enough of is um is sort of acknowledging our skills um and acknowledging our Mm -hmm. ability you know I think there's a I'm in the middle of sort of looking for jobs and I think there's um some stat that says you know if a man is not qualified like if he's 30% qualified he'll apply but if a woman's like 95% qualified she won't apply Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I totally yeah, understand yeah. because I'll see one thing like, oh, must be fluent in Arabic. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm 
intermediate in Arabic, but I shouldn't apply. And my mother's like, okay, you can learn more on the job. Just apply because you have everything else. Um, So I think it's, I think it's, you know, acknowledging and accepting our gifts um, and giving into those and um, using them rather than Mm. always doubting. Uh, You know, imposter syndrome is very alive and well, I think, for women. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, and it and really holds you, back. Yeah. And sorry, I was, I was going to ask, why do you think it's more of an issue? And I was having that same conversation with another guest yesterday. Mm. Why do you think it's more prevalent with women? Why is it that we're, we're like programmed with that gene and men are not or not as much? I mean, well, I, A, I think it's probably years and years of social, socialization. Um, mm-hmm. You know, men men aren't necessarily told conflicting messages of how they're supposed to be. You know, I don't think they're given the best messages. You know, it's mostly be masculine and and do this and that's it. And, you know, women, you can never be to something. You're not enough of this. You're, you mm-hmm. know, you're too skinny. You're too large you're you're not pretty enough you're too sexy it's I think it's so conflicting that you never know where mm-hmm. you're meant to stand and so it's right. just a constant state of confusion um mm. uh but I mean I'd be interested to hear what your guests thought it's because it it's something that I I can really feel when imposter syndrome is setting in and it's sort of like it's like another anxiety in itself um yeah. and I'm always interested mm. to hear what other people say well, and our conversation uh, was similar. You know, I think it's it's years of conditioning. It's even before we learn to interact in a, you know, in a in a workspace or um, in a in a professional setting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of ingrained in our education from an early age, right? Men are 100%. tough. Men don't show emotions. Men can be weak. I, I think on the plus side, though, what women do have is, you know, heightened emotional intelligence. So there's a form of weakness, but there's also a strength because we're a lot more tuned. We're more sensitive. We can read, uh, you know, energies and, and, and moods and signals better in general. But it also makes us challenge and question ourselves over and over again. Right. But also, I you're, you're right about the emotional intelligence, because I think now, on um for jobs a lot more people are talking about eq and not just iq anymore so mm-hmm. maybe we're slowly moving in the right direction I, I think so and i think we're starting to see the shift with the new generation um i think some of the some of the barriers you know or some of the ingrained uh mentality that maybe we've been exposed to um is slowly eroding or fading and the new generation has and i'm talking about men and women um they're exposed to something different right their their Mm -hmm. experience is a little different thank Um, god (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and actually something else that i found really interesting that i was also discussing with i guess on the podcast is the type of leadership that women are able to bring and this one guest owns her own business and she she said in the interview she said I actually bring my mom's skills to the workplace so somebody else might see that as a weakness but you know she was saying something like compassion uh, her caring nature were things Mm -hmm. that made her a better leader but traditionally 
these are um, attitudes that we consider a weakness for a leader, right? If right. a man was showing too much compassion or too much empathy, we'd say, you know, he's not strong enough. Yeah, he's too but soft. As, as you said, we now recognize that these are important skills to have for any type of job or position. No, 100%. Yeah, I like I like I like that she says she's bringing her mom skills to the job. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group for Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD services for women in business is their collaboration based approach. They work with both internal and external partners that can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the service and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship. They also engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. Now, let's go back to my conversation with Mogi. So we've talked about women and what you want to see them doing more of. And I'm curious to know, what are your goals? Uh, we just started a new year, not that long ago. It's a new decade. What are the objectives? What's what's on your mood board? What's on what are the uh, the things that you're working on or trying to get to in the in the months or years ahead? Oh, how did you know this is something I'm struggling with? Um, <laughs> I like to ask the tough questions. <laughs> it is a new year and I'm, I'm sort of conflicted because I, you know, I want to get back to, you know, what we, what we see is like the normal life where you have a job and a steady income um, and you feel a purpose. Uh, but when I told someone that I, I did a talk to school children in LA in January and then I went to this foundation nearby and I was speaking to the founder and saying oh you know I'm really searching for jobs and trying to figure out what's next and she was like no 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 you're not no you're not searching for jobs you you you're not getting just a job where you're working for someone you need to be you, you know you need to be doing things that you believe in that you know are pushing Ubuntu and I'm like yeah that's mm -hmm. really nice I get that but also I'm sure my boyfriend would think it'd be great if, like, his girlfriend was bringing in an income. Um, so, so I'm, and, I'm sort and, of and stuck I think between this that. Is important. It, I think this is important to call out, and, and I, I don't want to interrupt you, but um, a lot of people will look, and again, this is very typical of, I think there's going to be like a men-woman scenario here, but... Um, you know, on the outside, people think, oh, she just wrote a book and it's been really well received and she's doing press around the world. She must be, you know, cashing it in. And that's, you know, that's great. Life must be fantastic. And people don't realize that there are certain projects, including being an author, writing a book. It's not necessarily what pays the bills. No. And, and also, you know, certain projects take time. Um, mm -hmm. pu publishing, you know, the, the way that they do it, it, it takes time for books to, to make money. And also, you know, I, I don't think most authors go into writing self-help books, trying to make money, or at least I didn't. Um, right. so that, 
it's it's people I don't think people often think through how things work you know I know a lot of people when I was growing up probably thought that my grandfather was rolling in the dough and I have to remind people like the man is a priest priests do not make a lot of money like yes he's won some prizes here and there but you know he no 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 his main job is to be a priest so right sometimes we we need to stop assuming we know you know the the domestic situations of the people around us um mm -hmm. but with that said i'm i'm sort of struggling with figuring out what needs to be on my mood board um mm -hmm. you know it's it's now march and i've seen some things that i'm really interested in doing but it's the constant struggle between how can i do uh, enough like how where can I do something where I'm doing multiple things it's no longer about you know having one job that you focus on every day yeah. people people are doing so many different things um, and so I'm at the stage where I'm like well I'm 27 you know I have time but also you know a birthday's coming up so when, when we get to birthdays we start to you know inventory our lives and think over the mm -hmm. last year um, and that's sort of where I'm at is lucky for me. I have some time to figure it out. Um, and I have space to do that, but mm -hmm. that I, I don't even know if that's a great answer. I'm just sort of in the middle of figuring out what I should do next and what 2020 should look like for me. I know what it should look like for the people that I aim to help. But for me, not so much. So maybe mm. that's a bit conflicting. <laughs> right. And I agree with the person who told you that, you know, you shouldn't just take a job that there there, there should be something tied to Mbutu that you do. I think what you, you know, the movement that you started with the book or that you've expressed through the book, um, I think is something that is absolutely worth sharing and, and bringing to even more people. But I also understand the need for, you know, earning an income. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to find a path that makes sense. Which brings me to my next question. What is your definition of success today? And if, I'd asked, if I had asked you the same question maybe five, ten years ago, how different would the answer have been? Oh, wow. Oh, it would have been so different. Um, today, I think it is success is those days where i both acknowledge the dignity um and respect for others but i also acknowledge it for myself mm -hmm. um you know i think we're often our harshest critics and the things that we say to our friends when they make mistakes or our family members um are so opposed to the things that we say to ourselves when we make mistakes um and so i think success is recognizing how you speak to yourself and being kinder to yourself because there will always be bad days. But um, if you can speak to yourself kindly in those bad days, then the good days are so much better. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you can appreciate them so much more. Um, so it's just, it's just generally having joy. I think success is being able to have joy because happiness, uh, Happiness to me is a little tough to define. Uh, you know, it's like, well, if you're happy, then you can't be sad. But I think that 
you can have joy in your life and still have sad moments. And mm-hmm. if you have joy, then I think you're pretty successful. Um, when I think of people with joy, I think of like all the like Nobel Peace Prize laureates, including my grandfather. You know, they're able to laugh and they have seen horrific things, but they're able to continue on in the work that they do um, and still have joy. And I think that's pretty, pretty successful. Um, and if I could do that, I would feel like a success story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said a great house in London and <laughs> a, a job at like UNHCR or the International Rescue Committee um, and just being able to travel all the time and, you know, visit my friends and their families. Um, right. That's that's probably what I would have said success was ten, five, ten years ago. Is there a book, and given that you've just written one yourself, is there a book that's inspired you or has given sense to your journey, maybe a book that you find yourself going back to again and again? So a book that I really love that I think is tough to read um, but is definitely important is Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson. Um, Okay. There was there's a movie that just came out, so now I think the book is resurfacing. Um, but it's you know it, it goes basically back to the landscape in the U.S., which I think uh, the reason to me it's important is because it it's about acknowledging the truth of where we are, you know, to get anywhere. Um, and mm-hmm. while it's talking about, you know, the race situation in the U.S., I think that can apply to any situation for anyone is that, you know, to, to move forward, you sort of have to acknowledge the truth. And I think the mistake that we humans make is that we sort of forget the truth or we avoid the truth or we don't want to discuss it because it's difficult. Um, and then yeah, we we seem to move forward, but are we actually moving forward in the direction we're supposed to be going, or are we just sort of moving um, away? Mm. And so I yeah. think it's it's a tough book because it's it's a very tough subject, and the stories are heartbreaking. Um, but it's a very honest look at a tough conversation, and I think it's it's a way for us to have honest conversations about anything in our lives um and and on any continent um so that's a book Mm. that I really really you know stress to people when they ask but I just read um a book by Helen Russell um the the year of living Danishly we did a talk together in London last month and I Mm -hmm. really really loved her book it honestly I actually started Mm. begging my boyfriend if we could move to Denmark after um (laughs) (laughs) so so I I I mean it was interesting like imagine if we could just you know decide that there's one year where we're gonna try something new and just go full force at it and see what happens and you know if we can be happier and if just one change causes a bunch of other changes that actually do make our lives better. Um, so that was a, mm. it was a nice book to read. I think it was, 
it's mm-hmm. refreshing and also very interesting to learn about why certain countries, you know, continually rank on the happiness list versus, you yeah. know, the U.S. where we're so industrialized and whatnot. <laughs> but like, what is going on? We are not ranking on that list. Is there a quote or a saying that you find yourself either repeating to yourself internally or something that you tell others over and over again? Um, yes, there. Well, there are a few. One is definitely, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Um, hmm. Short and sweet. Love that. Yeah. And just, and just sort of brings into perspective, you know, anything that happens in your day that may be shitty for you, but like really, it maybe it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with you. Um, hmm. That's sort of, and I think in the age of social media, is sort of a good thing to remember. Um, yes, when you, you know, when you're reading horrible comments from someone you don't know, uh, you know, I've seen some people respond and just say like, are you okay? Uh, and I'm like, oh, wow, that was, that was very forward thinking of them to respond to that comment in that way. Because it, mm. from what that person says, it doesn't sound like they are okay. And you know, they may not yeah. respond to you at all or in a way that you like, but there probably is something going on and it has nothing to do with you because I think even if you changed all the things about you that someone commented that they didn't like, they probably still wouldn't like you. Mm -hmm. And so, and in general, when somebody says something negative, it says more about themselves than about the person they're saying it to. Right. It's a projection and it has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with you. Um, so that one definitely sticks out to me. And then <laughs> this is a bit shameless, but it's one of my grandfather's quotes. Um, it's, you know, in, in times of oppression, um, if you were neutral, then you've chosen the side of the oppressor. Um, mm, yeah. And that's one that I've, you know, considered getting tattooed. And my mom's like, we got to stop with the tattoos. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, because your grandfather has uh, shared many very wise quotes. So there, there'd be a yeah. lot of tattoos if you get them all. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I got the Ubuntu tattoo, you, my, my grandmother decided to tell me that she had actually just bought me a diamond bracelet. But now that I had the tattoo on my wrist, I clearly didn't need the bracelet on my wrist. And so, wow. Oh. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, thank you for that. <laughs> that was a tease. Um <laughs> But that, I think that one is, you know, about people not being bystanders and, you know, sticking up for someone because one day it may be you. Um, And as, you know, a black woman in the U.S., obviously I think it probably really applies to me and people that look like me. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, in other situations, I'm a person of a lot of privilege. And so... I need to not be neutral when, you know, there's privilege afforded me and not to someone else. Um, And so those are, those two are definitely ones that I repeat to myself, but also to other people a lot. Mm. I like that. And something just popped into my mind as you were uh, quoting your grandfather. Mm. What was it like and what is it still like today? being the granddaughter of the archbishop um you know i'm i'm guessing there is pressure that comes with that um people will often if they don't know anything else about you they know about you know that family tie 
Mm-hmm. And obviously he's a man who's deeply influenced the world in a very positive way. And I'm sure that comes with that extra layer of pressure for anyone who is attached to him. Yeah. How, how so, has your experience been? So it's, you know, it's, it's obviously mixed. And, you know, when, when I was younger and kids would ask me that, I would just respond to them like, well, what is it like having your grandfather? Because, you know, as a child, it's sort of the, the same thing. Besides, you know, meeting a few people or, <laughs> or thinking that, you know, everyone's grandfather has a driver and a bodyguard, like it, it's, it's usually the same for a kid because you just don't pick up on certain things until you're older. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, in one respect where I am worried about people doubting my abilities because they think I have only gotten something because of that name, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not always fun. Um, luckily for me, I have a different surname. So that has definitely been, it's allowed me to sort of control who knows and, and when people know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I found that I quite like because I sort of, you know, don't think it's something I just volunteer when I first meet someone. I, you know, what's the point of that? Um, it's, you know, once I trust people, um, if it comes up, then it comes up. Um, Mm -hmm. but in the same respect, you know, obviously with the book, I'm learning that, you know, why not? Like it's, it's a great legacy and something to be proud of. Um, and he's done a lot of good for the world and obviously his, his way of interacting and advocating for, you know, people in his life, but also people that he's never met before, but that he feels deserves respect has obviously rubbed off on me. Um, and so why wouldn't I sort of lean into that? Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, you know, we've, we've had amazing experiences meeting world leaders and whatnot. And, and then, you know, we have like, we go on family vacations and the man makes us do Eucharist every morning, which like is not very fun for a kid. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm not religious. So, you know, I always get called like the heathen child. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's probably what you expect, like great, great, amazing experiences and meeting cool people. And then like, oh man, like, do we really have to go to church on this Friday morning in the Bahamas? Um, mm. You know, the usual kid, the kid stuff where you you want it all to be fun and and great. Um, But I mean, overall, like his his love for people, I, you know, I hope to show that in my own way, even if it's, you know, I'm not religious. So if it's it's not going to be through the church or as someone's priest, but, you know, to show that through Ubuntu and sort of being Mm -hmm. able to write the book for people that aren't looking for a religion or something spiritual, but for just something, you know, for their everyday life. What did, and I know he wrote the foreword in your mm-hmm. book. Um, what did he think of the book? What was his reaction when he read it? So I don't think he read the whole thing. I don't know. We we, we hope so. He, he has the book. <laughs> but, right. um, but he, you know, when I went to do my first, like part of the tour in Europe, the the morning I was heading out, I did get a text from him that was like, I'm very proud of you and I hope the book sells. And I was like, I'm taking that and I'm running with it. Um, so so he, he's been very, very encouraging about it. Um, 
even a bit teasing, you know, I said I was going to speak at a, a festival in London for the Sunday Times. And he was like, I never spoke for the Sunday Times. And I was like, okay, well, you probably got asked and you just didn't accept because you were busy. So let's not go tit for tat here. <laughs> Love the sense of humor. Yeah. Um, and in closing, and we, we could have this conversation for hours, but we'll, we'll have to wrap it up. Um, and you've talked about a couple of things that, you know, are on the cards in the cards for you this year. And, uh, one of them is your, you know, the next steps in your career, but I'd like to know what's next for you. Uh, what's next for Ubuntu and, um, could we maybe even expect a second book from you at one point? Well, when people ask me if this is my first book, I usually say, yep, first and last. Um, <laughs> uh, the writing process is very interesting, so I don't know if, if there's a second one on the cards. Honestly, because I just, I don't think that I've had enough experiences, you know, to put down for people to read. I think that's why I need to go out and do more. Um, and if I could, you know, help other people's stories come out, then maybe um mm -hmm. but i don't think a book is next but more conversations about the book um are definitely coming up and um you know i've been asked to speak to schools lately and i think sort of letting kids know that they are of infinite value and worth and that they can sort of practice ubuntu in the smallest ways is definitely something that i'm hoping becomes a bigger thing um because mm -hmm. i think i think kids are they're pretty great and pretty clever and sometimes we don't give them enough credit that's wonderful and that's a great plan and <laughs> i want to thank you very much for speaking to me today um, no thank I you hope, i hope everyone picks up their copy of ubuntu if they haven't already and the best of luck for all your projects in the months and years ahead thank you so much it was honestly so great to talk to you i, I we could talk more Huge thanks to Mungi. This was an absolutely inspiring conversation. I invite you to pick up a copy of her book or download the audio or digital version. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating on the podcast app of your choice. It really makes a difference for us, your favorite podcasters. You can also check us out on Instagram at the brand is female. Thank you to TD Bank Group for women entrepreneurs for the support of The Brand is Female this season. If you're a woman entrepreneur, check out TD Services and find out how you can benefit from their support. You've got it in you to succeed, let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll be back in about a week with a new guest on the show. Yeah.